0: Well, again, this is the sixth Sunday of Easter. We continue uh, to move through this Eastertide, being reminded each week of the, the need to recall the, re- the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and, and uh, not to rush too far past it. But our readings have now turned us. They have turned us, perhaps, from looking at the resurrection, and they've turned us towards Pentecost. And so we already this week are beginning to get uh, those texts that are telling us about the coming of the Spirit, something that we will uh, celebrate here in just two weeks' time. And so as we start pointing ourselves towards, as we start being turned towards the Pentecost event, the the gifting of the Holy Spirit and all the empowerment that comes with the Holy Spirit, we're kind of in this in-between place. Right where, we again, we've moved past just simply thinking about the resurrection. We're not quite at Pentecost, and we we shouldn't be quite yet. And so so here we are in between these two. And so it would seem right, I think, uh, that our lessons tonight give us an opportunity to reflect a bit on the Father. But not the Father in isolation, but the Father in relationship to the Son. And in that way, we're also being pointed towards Trinity Sunday, which is the first Sunday after Pentecost. So this year that's May 27th. So we're, we're being pointed both towards Pentecost, where we think about the Spirit in particular, but then down the road also the Trinity. So tonight we, we have this beautiful gospel reading, which connects abiding in love, abiding in the love of the Son with the Father. The gospel explains how we as believers get to be participants in the love that exists between God the Father and God the Son, right? So from eternity, the Father has infinitely loved the Son. So again, from eternity, so there's, there's no point where this began. In Trinitarian language, there was never a time when the Son was not. So they have always been together, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and, and from eternity, There's been an infinite love from the Father to the Son. A couple chapters later in John 17, John says it this way, you love me before the foundation of the world. Jesus is saying to the Father, you loved me before the foundation of the world. And then John 17, he goes on to pray that we would have that kind of love for one another, and that kind of unity. But Again, like before the foundation of the world is such a common biblical way of talking about back then, right? In that time when the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were in relationship in communion with one another, before there was the creation of which we are part, the Father was loving the Son. And so John brings us into that loving relationship. The beautiful thing about children who are born into loving relationships, Uh, marriages is that they come into a love that already exists, right? They come into this richness of a mother and a father's love for one another. And again, that's not a perfect analogy because we as humans don't love perfectly. Not all marriages continue to be loving marriages. But the point is, is that we as the children of God come into this long standing love relationship between the father and the son, and not only is it long lasting, but it's it's permanent. It's it never wavers, it never changes. It's not sort of loving today and more loving tomorrow. It's always a perfect loving between God the Father and God the Son. And so John, Jesus, by way of John brings us in to that story. I mean, that's something to get excited about, right? That we as the children of God are brought into this Trinitarian relationship of father and son. That we get to be partakers of this. That we get to be participants in this perfect, loving relationship. Right? So again, you love me before the foundation of the world. And so Jesus says, therefore, I have loved you. As the Father has loved me, verse 9 says, the very first verse that was read for us tonight, so have I loved you. So guess what, disciples, Jesus is saying. Guess what, people who follow me, I love you with the same infinite self-giving love that the Father has for me. Good news for those of us that realize we're probably going to make mistakes and muck things up a bit. Right? That we have a loving Heavenly Father, that we have a loving Savior, who, in spite of our mistakes, is going to keep on being steadfast in his love for us. Why? Because the Father's steadfast love for the Son demonstrates for him, shows him, makes it possible for the Son to love us in the same way. And again, so we're called up into this relationship between God the Father and God the Son, that, that we are the beneficiaries of this unwavering, infinite, perfect love. And in spite of our failings to return that love, Jesus' love for us will not waver. Because it's rooted again in that love of Father and Son. One uh, commentator says it this way. Jesus draws his disciples into this unimaginable communion of love between the Father and the Son and invites us to abide in this communion of love. Right? That is unimaginable love. Right? This is where I can't simply think of the love I have for Christina, the love I have for my children, the love I may have felt for my own parents, that that is not unimaginable kind of love. That, that's limited love. It's genuine, it's sincere, but it's limited. Instead, Jesus draws us into, up into an unimaginable communion of love. And then what does he say? He invites us to abide there, to just be in that love, right? He doesn't draw us into it and then he immediately say, now to stay here, you're going to have to do this. Right Or to stay here, you now owe me something. Now, in one sense, it is conditional, this abiding in God's love, because verse 10 says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Now, the love might not waver, but our abiding in it is going to waver. Jesus seemed to know that. He anticipated that. Look, I'm inviting you into this love relationship that the Father and I have, it's, it's, it's unimaginable, it's beyond anything you can imagine. Um, I have been a beneficiary of this from the Father and I'm going to share it with you and I invite you to simply be in that loving relationship. But the Son knows us, mostly because he died for us and so he knows that we're not going to abide perfectly, right? So he invites us there and he says, abide in this love and you will be abiding in my love, you want to know how to do it? When you keep my commandments. So I don't want to simply say, is this conditional love? Is the the son offering conditional love? Right? What a terrible job as a parent if I said, I'll love you if you please me with your grades. I'll love you if you please me with all your life choices. I'll love you if, right? And thankfully, wedding vows are not written this way, right? (laughs) Yes, I will take you if you do this, or if you don't do this, right? So even though like Jesus anticipates, I think, our, our inability to abide perfectly, our desire to abide, but our inability to execute it, although he anticipates that, the point is, is it still rooted in this unalterable, unchanging love of the father for the son. So in spite of my failings, maybe to abide perfectly, the love doesn't waver, So, in fact, that love is unconditional. That even when I fail to abide well, Jesus will still love me. Why? Because the Father keeps loving the Son. You know, God the Father didn't rub his head on the evening of Jesus in Gethsemane and say, What's happening to him? I'm so disappointed. Why is he praying that if this cup could pass from him, let me find another way? No, the Father wasn't up there rubbing his his temples going, I don't understand What's wrong with you, son? Have I, not, have I not raised you well enough to do this? No, that was normal for Jesus as a human to say, if this cup can pass from me, let it pass. The father wasn't seeing that as weakness. The father continued to exercise the same unaltering love for the son, even in that moment. And the son does the same for us. He doesn't rub his temples up there at the right hand of God and say, what is Craig doing now? Why is he so bad at these things? Why is he so terrible at reading the scriptures and then being a jerk? Why can't he get it right? I mean, he may think it. I'm sure he notices it. But at the same time, he just keeps loving. Because again, that love is rooted in the love of God the Father and God the Son. It is not conditional on my keeping of the commandments. But if I want to abide, if I want to remain resilient, if I want to do my best, if you will... To enjoy the benefits of this loving relationship, then I'm going to keep God's commandments. Now that would sound daunting, right? If the list of commandments is terribly long, right? That would sound unimaginable to a human if that if that was you know 800 commandments or 100 commandments. But instead, Jesus boils them down in verse 12. He says oh, so you'll abide in me if you keep my commandments. And then it's almost as if someone over here is going, well, how can I keep all your commandments? Jesus says, well, actually, this is my commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. Right? Jesus just boils it down. Love one another as I have loved you. Now, we've been thinking about this for several weeks already. We've, we've been hearing from the scriptures how we can't just love in word, but we have to love in deed, right? Like here we are in John and 1 John, and they just keep telling us about the nature of divine love and our response to that love. Jesus died for us. He set the example. Now go and do likewise for others, right? We heard that last week, the week before. You can't just simply love in word. You have to love in deed. You have to go do things. Love can't just be an attitude. It has to be an action. It just can't be your disposition. It's got to be worked out in deeds. And so tonight, here we are again. Not because the scriptures are redundant and repetitive, though thankfully they are that at times because we're a bit dull-headed and dim-witted. Well, let me take that back. I'm a bit dim-witted and dull-headed, and perhaps you are too. And so here we are yet again with Jesus saying like, okay, let me me say it this way this time. You see, since before the foundations of the world, the Father has been loving me. And I'm going to invite you into that Trinitarian relationship. And I'm going to love you unconditionally. And I just want you to abide in that love. And the way you can abide in that love, which isn't going to change how I love you, but you need to simply love one another as I have loved you. Now, simply, right? We know it's actually not that simple. I mean, it could be, but then we meet these people we're supposed to love, right? Or they meet us. And then it gets harder, Right? But John says it again over in his epistle that we heard read for us tonight. We love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. So the way to abide in this love, the way to show it, the way to be in this loving relationship is to love one another as God has loved us. I mean, it's so simple, yet at the same time, it's so difficult. Right? Right? We are so busy, we're so distracted. People are messy, people are difficult. Some of us like to be alone. Some of us like to be alone more than I like to be alone. right? Some of us can't get enough of other people, Adam Johnson. right? So, like, Some of us just love on people and we have endless amounts of it and others of us just think like I'm so exhausted, why, because I talk to someone. Right? I need like 2 hours in the morning to get wound up to the point of having a human interaction. Right? Not quite 2 hours, but it feels that way. Right? It's close to 2 actually, but not quite 2, right? And then like again, we start interacting with humans and this is so simple, like just love them, like I've loved you. And you know what? When I'm at my best, when I'm healthy, when I'm happy, when I'm rested, when I'm not stressed, when I'm not anxious, I feel like I'm, I can love and I've got room for it. Except that one day of the year when all those things fall into place is not sufficient to the other 364. Right? People ask things of you and you're like, I want to do that. I care about you, but I'm so tired. Or, you know, like, I don't know. I, I just feel like I'm doing so much for so many people. I don't have the space to do it. Again, this commandment is simple. It's just really difficult to actually do. Simple in its love and others, I have loved you, but so difficult, again, because it involves people. So we can keep hearing this, and we need to keep hearing this, and these lessons keep bringing it before us. But it's worth asking again tonight, but, but what does this look like? right? But what does it look like for me to love others when I don't do it well so often? I mean, at least what, what could it, what should it, what is it supposed to look like? So from tonight's lesson, Jesus decides to give us, I think, two examples to show, to illustrate, and maybe to answer that question, but what does this look like? He gives us two kinds of relationship. The first kind we don't experience firsthand, really, uh, anymore, or at least uh, institutionally, but the first one is one of masters and slaves. Right it's a, it's an economy where some people owe another person work, labor, obedience. Right? So in this Roman culture, I mean it would be common to simply see slaves. And we, we know in many parts of American history and other countries history this is this has been very real and we know it still goes on. That's not my point. I'm not acting like these there's not kinds of enslavement today, but you know we don't we don't see it firsthand anymore in the same way. That, that it would have been here in the first century. But nonetheless, the first kind of relationship is a master and slave. And that is, it's like, well, a slave does things because the master can give a command and obedience has to follow or there's consequences. Right? So the first kind of relationship is, is based on authority and can be backed up by force. I mean, I say this in all seriousness. I mean, there, there is a bit of a, Parent and child nature to that kind of thing, right? There are relationships today where we have authority over others. I mean, this is maybe an uh, employer and employee and those kinds of relationships. So we, we see them, and these relationships are simply based on, again, like someone can give a command and someone has to execute that command because someone has the authority to back that command up by force. Like, if you don't do your job, we'll just fire you, right? If you, if you don't do this homework, I'll simply ground you. So, we see those kinds of relationships. And so, that's the first one that Jesus depicts. You know, how am I supposed to do this? Well, there's one kind of relationship where it's just simply one of obligation. You have to do it. And I think what Jesus is saying is there's not love there, that's obligation. It's not true love, it's, at least, it's not enduring love. I mean, obligation can be good at times, right? A man and a woman, if they're wearied by their wedding vows, it's good to to be obligated to them, even if you might not feel terribly loving in those moments. I don't always need my kids to love me, but I like it, or at least show it or be happy about it, but I like it when they keep doing what we expect of them. I mean, we all have employers that can beat us up on occasion, wear us down, frustrate us, and We go back to work, and we keep trying to do the best we can in spite of those things. So we we see this, but those aren't ideal loving relationships. Again, there's a power imbalance. There's a consequence to lack of obedience there. So Jesus says, you know what a better example is of this love that we're supposed to have for one another? Friends. Friend relationships. That's the relationships that demonstrate The kind of love that we should have for each other. Why? Because friends do things for each other because of an affection for one another. They do things for each other not because they're obligated to but because they want to. They love each other and show it because they know that in friendship that will be reciprocated. Not because anyone is obligated to do it but because of love and affection. Now, we all have different experiences of friendships, and and some of us may feel like we don't, have never had the kind of deep friendships that would completely illustrate this for us. But at the same time, this is the image that Jesus chooses to use to show us what love looks like when he tells us to simply love one another. Love each other like friends love each other. Not like you owe it to one another, not like anyone can back it up by force, but simply think about the affection that you have for a friend and love in that way. So lots of ink over the centuries have been spilt on what friendship should look like. This goes all the way back to ancient ancient time as well. Cicero has a famous treatise on friendship. And then in the 12th century, Albert of Riveau wrote a spiritual friendship treatise to, to imitate Cicero, if you will, and, and um, I just picked up today, uh, today a book, we, we didn't really dumpster dive at Biola, but we dumpster hovered, and uh, we didn't crawl into the dumpsters, but we found some good stuff, and I found a book on friendship by Gilbert Mylander next to one of the things, and so I took it, and so people are still writing books today on friendship, people are still talking about what it looks like to be friends, but, but at their core, at the center of all friendships is love. And not like Bernard of Clairvaux's second degree of love, where, he, where someone loves someone else because they get something from it. Like, I love you because you do something for me. No, it's the kind of friendship that's unconditional. It's the kind of friendship that say, I'm going to do this for you, and it doesn't matter that if you don't appreciate it, it doesn't matter if you say thank you, it doesn't matter if you reciprocate it, it doesn't matter if you don't even notice, I'm doing it because you're my friend. Again, that that love based on affection for one another. Again, juxtaposed in this text by the master-slave image. So as we are reminded again this evening that we are to love one another just as we have been loved. Not only does Jesus root it in this Trinitarian love, but he also tries to illustrate it for us in a new way tonight. And so let us just, again, think about that for another minute, and then we'll be done. And that is that, like, look, there's two kinds of relationship, master and slave. That is based on authority. It's backed up by force. Someone can give a command, and someone has to obey. That's not how you love others, Jesus says. No, instead, you love them like a friend. And I think this is a moment where Jesus says, I am your friend. Why? Because I laid down my life for you. Not because I would get anything in return for it, but because simply I loved you. So this is where Jesus says, you're my friends and I want to be your friend. Right? So it's okay to say Jesus is my friend. Right? Jesus is our friend. He wants to be our friend. Why? Because he wants to love us. And he does love us, and he wants us to love him in return. And by loving him in return, and by loving others as friends, we abide in the love that the Father has for the Son. We are caught up into that eternal, infinite love of God the Father and God the Son. So let us, in spite of our failings, let us, in spite of all of our limitations, our our busyness, our personalities, our, our quirks or whatever they are, right? Let us, let us set all those things aside and let us be challenged tonight for hear the, to hear from the scriptures that we are to love one another and that is to be a friendly love, a friendship love based on affection. And as we continue to be pointed towards Pentecost, let us be mindful and reminded of the fact that, again, this is never an issue of me simply having to dig deep in the limited resources that I have myself. But instead, I get the supernatural empowerment of God's Holy Spirit to make this possible in my life. So when God tells me to love others and it sounds so exhausting, I immediately can remind myself, but God, you have made it possible through your Holy Spirit. And so let us continue to reflect on that gift that we've been given, which will again come to a culmination in a couple of weeks. And mostly let us look at one another. Let us look across these pews. Let us look one another in the face and think about the ways that we do and should and need to love one another. And then let us look beyond the walls of this church to all the other men and women out there who need to be loved. And again, empowered by the Spirit, may we go forth not only to do the work that God has given us to do, but certainly to do the work that God has given us to do, which is to love Him and to love others. Dependent and empowered by God's Spirit to do it well so that we abide in Him, and He will abide in us. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.